Hello and welcome to What's Up Doc's coverage of both the 2022 Hamiltonian Stakes and the Oaks being run at the Meadowlands on Saturday, August 6th and being televised on Fox Sports 2 plus other television and streaming services that afternoon. We interviewed four Standard Bread Superstar guests and collected some racing insight. They are John Campbell, Billy O'Donnell, Tim Tietrick, and Gregory Peck. Please check out both of our two-part interviews. Thank you. I'd like to introduce Tim Tietrich, a superstar Standard Bread driver and 2020 U.S. Harness Riders Association Hall of Fame honoree. Number one in, content, in the continent for nine years of purses, one during his 26 professional years. Number three, all-time career driver earnings of just shy of $250 million with just shy of 13,000 wins. He's won 20 Breeders' Crown races, three U.S. pacing triple crown races, one U.S. trotting triple crown race, and that was the Hamiltonian with market share in 2012 and 36 other major races. Tim, welcome, and thanks so much for giving us some of your precious time. I know how crazy things might be just preparing for this uh, big day on Saturday. Yeah, no, no doubt, Doc. Yeah, and I know you're in two big races. I, you're probably in many more, but the ones that, for the sake of my audience, we're following are the Hamiltonian and the Oaks. So I'm going to pitch this first question. Saturday, we'll, we'll be watching several of the best trotters in this country race for one of this year's most prestigious standard bread stakes races. Amidst the competition, what jumps out at you most regarding the competition, the equine talent, the competitive super drivers, and the top trainers? What what strikes you as being unique or uh, of noteworthiness for this year? Well, it's you know it's the best of the best. You know you're taking the top ten drivers and trainers and top ten horses at of this year, the three year old group. So it's uh, it's a great race and it's a very prestigious race and. You know, it's a stacked deck. It's uh, a lot of good horses in there. Okay. This year is kind of unique. We have um, two very talented uh, fillies in the Hambo, uh, which is an open stakes race. Uh, and in the past, in 2020, Ramona Hill, which is a Muscle Hill filly. And by the way, you're on a Muscle Hill Colt. And in 2018, Atlanta, a Chapter 7 filly, which you drove Chapter 7. Uh, they each won the Hamiltonian. Do you think... Uh, I know you're going to you're looking to win the trophy. And quite frankly, everyone I talk to says you've got the greatest opportunity. But uh, how do you stake these Phillies up with with the boys this year? Uh, they're very talented Phillies, um, you know, um, good on the connections of, you know, take that chance and put them in there and go for the million dollars. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's going to make a great race. There's a lot of storylines to it. You know, it's always nice to talk about the girls trying to beat the boys. But, uh, you know, hopefully that don't happen this year. Okay, I'm going to ask you one quick favor to maybe just speak up a little bit because uh, your audio is coming in a little bit light. But just so you know, um, okay. Again, just for the for the audience's sake, uh, Rebuff, the uh, your your uh, the horse you're driving uh, is a Muscle Hill Colt, and Muscle Hill won the Hambo in 2009 and went on. He's a very very successful sire. Uh, you're coming out of post number one. I had a chance to talk to. Greg Peck, uh, Muscle Hill's trainer, in an interview, and he said that Muscle Hill also came out of post one or hole one, and uh, he thought that was a good spot for you. A lot of the drivers tend to shy away from that choice. Give me your opinion on your horse and, and uh, your post position one. I'm, I'm super confident in my horse. Would the rail be my first choice? No, but, uh, 
you know, that's what they gave us. So we're going to make it work. And um, just the rail is uh, sometimes getting out of there. You got to be too aggressive or you got to watch, make sure somebody doesn't slam down in front of you and jam you up and stuff. And um, I like just having the options, you know, audibles, be able to call audibles and stuff. Now, also, it's interesting because in the Oaks for the race for Phillies only, you're driving fashion schooner or schooner. Um, you represent a great owner, Jules Siegel of Fashion Farms, who won in 1995, won the Hambo with Tagliabue and John Campbell as his driver. I happened to cross a couple times with him during my stint at Tufts uh, Veterinary School. That one, you got the 10 position all the way on the far outside. So you're going into these two big races, one right in the right against the rail and the other one on the outside. Uh, some people say there's a strategic disadvantage to that. Uh, what's your opinion on having the outside rail? And do you have any special words of how you might continue uh, consider compensating for that? You know, it's not the best draw. It's uh, the worst draw on the racetrack. You know, as far as outside, and it's a lot more feet that that horse has to travel. And um Luckily, my mare's got plenty of tactical speed. Um, she's big and strong, and, you know, I think uh, we're going to do the best we can with it. You know, she's a very good horse and uh, coming in the race good. Uh, won a very good heat and elimination, and um, I, I think she'll be fine. Well, I, I always hate to ask um, drivers, trainers, who's going to win a race they're in because, obviously, you're going to win it. But if you had to pick a couple of the horses besides yours that, that – you're going to be keeping a special eye on who, who are you looking at? Oh, there's four or five in the, you know, in the, in the Hamiltonian that could uh, step up and win, you know, the two Phillies, they both race really good in the elimination. Marcus Melander's other trot and Colt, uh, the one Orion's driving. Um, he's a son of Walner, very nice horse. Um, in the Philly division, nifty Norman's Philly is very nice. Um, got tons of talent and, you know, there's, again, there's three or four that can step up and get the job done. Anything, uh, yeah, with the Phillies, anyone, um, some people are touting as uh, venerable as probably being the, the, the horse to beat. Uh, I don't put your horse well, down. She's the champion from last year. She made a million dollars at two. Her last few starts have been super impressive. Um, the, the Philly had a Canada that won the elimination. That actually beat um, Jules Siegel's mare there in the elimination race to her. Or Mark Stacy raced awesome. Um, absolutely was flying down the lane to win her elimination. So, you know, you got to respect those Phillies. Well, Tim, I wish I could talk to you all day, but uh, I appreciate the time you gave me. You're one of the superstars, still up and coming, got a lot of uh, youthful years to keep in, uh, increasing your record. And uh, we wish you the best. We wish a safe uh, race for you and for everyone else. And we wish the owners of Connections the best. And thanks again for your expertise and your comments. And, and uh, good luck on Saturday. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate it. I want to welcome prominent standard bred trainer, Greg Peck. He was awarded top trainer by U.S. Harness Writers Association in 2009. Uh, one of his most outstanding accomplishments was his trainer of Muscle Hill, who was undefeated in his last 20 out of 21 starts, winning by four lengths. He won the 2009 Hamiltonian and simultaneously that same day, the Peter Houghton. Um, he's also won the Kentucky Futurity, two Breeders' Crown races, plus awarded multiple trotter and harness Horse of the Year Awards. Muscle Hill himself earned $3.25 million in purses. In 2016, Muscle Hill was inducted into the U.S. Harness Racing Hall of Fame. 
And in 2020, Muscle Hill was the leading money-winning trotting sire with offspring earning over $9.6 million. In 2020, his daughter Ramona Hill won the Hamiltonian Stakes. Greg Peck has also trained multiple other stakes winners. He's a buyer, trainer, and manager of Standard Bread Horses. Plus, he's also a media trainer at Fine Line Inc. Greg, welcome, and thanks for taking the time to give us your assessment of the 2022 Hamiltonian with a couple pieces on the Oaks, which are going to be at the Meadowlands this coming Saturday. Well, Doc, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And, you know, we've had a great friendship for years. And I can remember the day I, I met you and you'd be somebody that I would say was somebody I learned a lot from in my career and was lucky to really know. And uh, you think to get a, a great horse and I've had a few great ones you got to be good. You got to be lucky too, and you got to be around good people. And you were one of them. Well, thank you very much. I uh, that humbles me. I um, had a conversation earlier today with your dear friend uh, Billy O'Donnell, and basically I said we're all hooked on the same thing. We're all part of the same tribe. I'm not saying we go to the same church, but we're hooked on the same tribe, yeah. and that's uh, the love of horses. And I I know you're one of those people that's passionate. He is, and so too is John Campbell. And um, we're hoping to get Tim teacher gone here too. If we weren't that passionate, we wouldn't be donating and, and uh, investing so much time in this, uh, in this crazy world. It's not, any, it's not an easy way to make a living. Having, having said that, um, why don't you be kind of briefly tell me a little about your experience with Muscle Hill, because he was such a remarkable horse. Uh, I can go on and on about him, but um, let's talk a little bit about him. Give me a, a, a brief summary of why he was so outstanding and special to you. Well, you can probably reflect more now than you could then because when you were going through it you didn't look at it and say well he's absolutely going to win you never ever felt that way you felt at some point he would lose something might happen but you know dean hoffman who is has done a body of work in harness racing like no other you could say the stan bergsteins of the world and the late stan bergstein who was also a colleague and friend of mine but as dean hoffman said around Hamiltonian time, when Muscle Hill won the Hamiltonian, it was a trotting exhibition, not competition. And I never thought of it that way, but but now I start to think of it that way, especially when I watch the other sports of racing, such as take like the Kentucky Derby, well, they're worried about the draw, the trip, the this, the that, the other thing, where Muscle Hill could really make his own luck. And, you know, the other thing is Brian Sears, always put him in the right spot. He never took it for granted and put him in a compromising spot. So, but, you know, he said he was like pushing buttons in a sports car and he was great to begin with. And I've always said this, if somebody else had have trained him, would he be as good? Maybe. It might have been better. Who knows? Might not have been as good, but we'll never know. But uh, we managed him certainly in a way that he, everything was planned. There's no doubt about it. Everything, all the dot all the i's were dots and all the t's were, were crossed that's for sure well that leads me to an interesting question that i asked billy O uh, earlier uh, when you look at your equine athlete mm -hmm. what percent of the win is attributable to that equine athlete versus the driver and versus the trainer i mean is there any way to quantitate that well most great drivers like john or billy o'donnell uh, would probably, you know, give a lot of credit to the horse. That's for sure. And I'm sure if you talk to Dexter Dunn today, if you talk to Tim Tietrick, they'd probably 
say a similar thing, but I say to them, well, wait now, I've seen guys that are not good at it lose with a great horse. There is no doubt about it. So it all has to be part of the program, put it that way. But it's probably, we'll say, and we're assuming that the driver is usually a competent top driver. And at that point, it's probably 90, 95% the horse. But remember, a length is a lot. So, you know, uh, it's a very precise thing. So uh, I would say that, yeah, it's probably uh, 80% the horse, 10% the trainer, maybe 10% the driver, about the same thing. Okay, well, that sounds like a fair assessment. It's interesting. I asked the same question of a world-famous show jumper, Joe Fargis, won two Olympic gold medals, and he thought that the horse-rider combination was a special combination. He thought that some riders were uh, better suited to certain horses than others, and if you took that same horse with the same talent you gave them a different rider, they probably wouldn't fare as well, and I don't know if that's true, but like partners in life, maybe he's right. In that case, with a horse like Muscle Hill, I always said, it's not what I did. It's what I didn't do. I didn't over-race them. And I can name them all. By the time they went to the breeding shed, they were pretty tired. You know, and I also was big on the Tessio theory of one of his tenets were the fact that he thought that the you know the stallion should be vibrant when he got to the breeding shed. At Muscle Hill, when he finished the Breeders' Crown in Toronto, he about looked at me and said, is this it? Is it over? Yeah, it, it's over. Where mo- most of them are... You know, they, they go into the stallion world with a little bit of a cloud because they, they raced maybe one too many times. So that's where, you know, that's no accident. So, you know, to say anybody could have driven him, anybody could have trained him, you know, would be a reach, put it that way. But, you know, could a, a competent trainer and a competent driver do well? Of course. But, you know, again, I go back, you got to be lucky, too you know, that the fact that what if I had trained them? I have a friend, uh, Mitchell Skolnick, uh, who is responsible for stallions, such as the great Always Be Mickey now, and Always a Virgin Indiana, and uh, and several others, and has won the Hamiltonian Oaks himself, says that everything had to happen the way that it did. What if you did one little thing different and he stubbed his toe or something? And there is an element of that. That is true. Yep, and even the great horses at some point get beat. They just they don't always have perfect days every or perfect trips every he day. Have that both of those though. It just seemed that Muscle Hill. Now that it's all over, I follow the thoroughbreds. Remember, Secretary get beat. Yep, twice. Uh, yeah, and and the you know the bottom line is this is that or they were really strongly urged on their hands and knees to win. A Muscle Hill never was. Well, that was interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. This year we have two very talented fellies in, entered into the Hamiltonian Stakes, again, making the closest comparison to the racing world with thoroughbreds. Uh, not very common, although it's been happening a little bit more over time. It seems that there are more opportunities for a filly to win in the standardbred world, and I'm not quite sure what that's attributable to. But this year having two really top Phillies has changed the formula a bit, and and they actually have some some real shot of winning. You have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, they they have a shot at winning, but you know, and I'm not biased here. That rebuff looks to be the horse, and he drew the rail. Matter of fact, I saw Tim Tetrick today at Harris Philadelphia, 
and you know said that that was a good thing too because when I chose the rail, matter of fact, you mentioned the, the Peter Houghton and the and the Hamiltonian. I chose the rail with both of them. When people say, "What? You're crazy? You choose the rail. You might get locked in. Somebody, this might happen. That might happen." But you know, so he's lucky as well that he drew the rail. He could have drawn anywhere from one to five. Tim Tietrich is really a great driver. You're talking one of the all-time greats. He's that great. You have Lucas Wallen, you know, who I'll, I'll tease him. He's a protege of mine. We were together for several months there, and I think that uh, hopefully he learned a few things from me, and he's impressionable, and he's a hard worker, and uh, he's in the zone right now. So he he's going to be really hard to beat. There's no doubt about that. And, he, and he's a son of Muscle Hill. And the other interesting thing to me is, of all of the Muscle Hills that have been contenders, that he looks and presents himself on the track the most like Muscle Hill. I'd have to say that Rebuff really, yeah, is. It, it, if you look over my the back of my head here, you can see Muscle Hill's portrait there, his head, and but everything about uh, him. And rebuff, rebuff, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty similar. You know, and the, the Phillies do have a chance. I mean, Dexter Dunn is on the Philly that won last week. Uh, so that's a plus. He's really in the zone, as I said. And then you have Brian Sears, who's on the other Philly, you know, to me is, I mean, it's kind of hard to go wrong there. But, you know, you never know. It's a horse race. But, you know, at this point, I would be surprised if rebuff didn't win. Okay. Well, moving on along these lines, um, you know, it's interesting because Tim Tetrick or Tetrick will be with Fashion Schooner in the Oaks and he's drawn the 10th position. So he's going in the Hambo on the rail and he's going the far outside on the last one. So we'll see what kind of day he has. But uh, as you said, he's one of the best out there and one of the up and coming. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out, which is interesting that's the breeding with Ramona Hill being a Muscle Hill Philly. Yeah. It brings me into perspective a bit. He he was also, you know, the outstanding sire of sires in 2020. But I see him following a little bit in the path of Secretariat where he's great to have on the on the female side too. Wow. They crossed him with chapter seven Philly and uh and uh and it um and and then they got this super horse Walner who everyone is uh, going to. Well, what's interesting, too, when you talk about the Phillies, Venerable, who I thought last year she'd be the one in the Hamiltonian. She looked like she was better than the Colts last year. She looked like a Snow White or a Mission Brief, that type. That I was really impressed with her. Uh, and she's out of uh, the Dolly Parton song, Jolene Jolene, trained by Nifty Norman, uh, driven by David Miller. So... Again, you have another great driver, uh, trainer who won the Glenn Garnsey Award last year for trainer of the year, and it's a Walner out of a Muscle Hill mare. So that would be the one I'd be looking for there. Okay. You know, it's interesting because the last time we chatted online here, uh, we were talking about the Breeders' Crown, and uh, the stallion that everyone was paying attention to then was Captain Treacherous. Uh, now I see that all the hot... Uh, breedings are coming out of Walner and still Muscle Hill and Chapter 7. So those three seem to be concentrating at least at this time of the year. Yeah. Is, is there some 
is there some, this is the way it's going to be from here on, or is it just the luck of the draw, like statistics sometimes well, sometimes in life are hot and sometimes they're not? Walner has a long way to go before he's a muscle hill. I mean, he's certainly the popular one now, and he does have the advantage that he can breed muscle hill mares. But up until this point, I mean, you know, we're only kind of a couple of years in, and it's a trendy business, but he's certainly very good. And he probably has this going for him, that Muscle Hill has not sired one near himself, which would be hard to do. He might not ever do that because there, was, there wasn't a Muscle Hill before. There might not be another one again. Um, so Walner has that advantage too, that, you know, Muscle Hills bar hopping, who's a pretty good sire. Southman Frank's a pretty good sire. Um, who else does he have? Muscle Hill. That's, uh, you know, again, has some, some decent ones. Uh, tactical landing is getting better now. And I thought that he might be the one because he really had the ability, had everything going for him. And, Trained by Bob Stewart, his two-year-old year, and Bob Stewart had Andover, Angus, Conway, Hall, and Creatine. So it seems that some guys are, uh, seem to have luck with stallions as well. Well, just playing upon what you just said, which is interesting, again, I know the thoroughbred world a little bit better than the standardbred world, although I've worked in many arenas in both. And there was a super racehorse and an even better stallion named Bold Ruler, and he really wasn't throwing any sons like himself until his much, much later years. I mean, the years just before he was pensioned. And he came out with a super cult named Secretariat. So there's still hope. Well, and look at Northern Dancer, though, that he really sired great ones, you know, on both sides of the water. I mean, that's uh, that's the thing. Didn't he have uh, Najinsk? Was Najinsky a uh, Northern Dancer? Yeah. And what happened was with Northern Dancer, he was, I think, to my knowledge, the highest ever paid stallion, people owned shares in him. It was nearly impossible to get breedings. And back in the day, when he was limited in the number of mares he'd cover naturally, they didn't have AI. There were people that were putting up $1 million, no guarantee foal, just a guaranteed breeding with the hope that they'll catch the mare. That's because the foals at the sales would bring one or $2 million. From that yeah. one, it was crazy. Isn't Galileo, is he by Nijinsky? That I don't know. Yeah. Well, that I don't know. But he, he's the he's the great sire now. Yeah, but but ha having said that, even with Secretariat, he wasn't the sire of sires, but he did become a very very strong broodmare sire, and this could happen even um, uh, with Muscle Hill in these following years. Although he was a sire of sires, also. So, I mean, it, it almost reminds me of uh, the guy who gets a great racehorse, and then he also gets a great, great breeding prospect. It doesn't come along that often, like a speedy crown or something like that. It doesn't happen that often, no. you know? So it's all good. Anyway, do you find a difference in training fillies versus colts? Is there a psychological difference here, or you think it's uh, similar? Because some trainers appear to get, um, I, I don't know, identified as a trainer of uh, fillies or a trainer of colts. I don't know that that's fair. What's your opinion? Well, I, in my opinion, I've had – good success with both and i think you have to adapt to them you I, I i say this about a trotter a pacer a colt or a filly you kind of have to adapt to them and and do what's right by them and if, if you could do that if you can customize it 
the same as it, you know, in the media training when I would do an Exxon Mobil, say, or a Merck Pharmaceutical. If you customize to them, you do really well. The same in your practice that I'm sure that if you know a horse, you know the trainer, you know the breeding, you know what the horse needs to get done in his career, and you can customize. You can you can do most things, put it that way. So, but but there's certainly uh, there's guys that have an affinity for for culture fillies there's no doubt about that well i think we you already sort of gave me the answers in advance but we're going to wrap up here and i um i'll ask you this question more directly based upon the horses drivers and trainers who qualified these two races uh, they're they're amazing group of a crop this year what's your predictions for the outcome of either one of these races what do you what do you see unfolding well you know, uh, again, I, I, I see rebuff in the in the Hamiltonian, especially now that he has the rail, because I like the rail. It's the shortest way around, and it's not like the Derby where you got to worry about the rail where you could run in into the hub rail kind of thing when you come out of that that, that stall number one. We don't have that. We have bylons now and everything, so you don't have to worry about that. You've got Tim Tietrich. He's won it before, but, you know, he's truly terrific. There's no doubt about it. So you've got that. And again, as they said, Lucas Wallen is in the zone. You know, he's young, uh, recently married to Michaela Melander. So he's even got that. The Melanders, you know, uh, breeding there, we'll say. And and uh, he, she's even expecting a son, by the way. And I told her that. I said, there's a lot of uh, men that, uh, you know, wanted to. Uh, was done and didn't have one. I I said uh, Wayne Gretzky and, and Toby or, uh, Wayne Gretzky and, and Tim McGraw. And I named a couple of them. And I said and she's going to have a, a boy. So it's it, he's lucky this year too, Lucas. So you know it certainly is pointing in that direction. Now as far as the Oaks, you know I just think if venerable, uh, you know she had you know a few hiccups, but if she comes back. You know, the way she was, I mean, she was dominant last year. I mean, I, I, I saw her a couple of nights. I just said, wow. So, you know, and again, it's it would be interesting uh, talking about your theme. If, if Muscle Hill won the Hamiltonian and one of his daughters, like Jolie and Jolene and Venerable, won the Oaks. All right. Well, super trainer Greg Peck. You've been in the game a while, and you've been uh, very successful, and you've brought up a lot of interesting talent, and you were one of the very privileged few to end up with one of the diamonds, uh, originally in the rough, but uh, you polished that diamond over the years, and and it'll go down in the history books as a legacy forever. So I want to thank you so much for participating in this little uh, group uh, um, discussion to try to help the public uh, draw an interest in the Hambo and the Oaks, and uh, if they can even bet on some of these horses besides rooting for them. And I thank you so much for everything. Doc, thank you, and always a pleasure. And heartfelt <laughs> in the opening. I'm proud and happy and lucky to know you. Okay, don't make me blush on camera here, but thank you so much, and uh, we'll be talking to you. We encourage all our audience to either attend or watch the televised coverage of these prestigious races at the Meadowlands this Saturday afternoon, August 6th. Pick your favorites, root for them, and bet on them if you're so inclined. Thanking you and all our guests, I'm your host, Dr. Gregory Barroza. <laughs>